Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Urban Outfitters, Sephora, and Nike. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 910. This episode brought to you by Squarespace. Uh, with beautiful templates created by world-class designers, Squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into a new and unique website in just a few clicks. Now... Uh, I understand that a lot of young people are using this internet thing to... What's that? Well, it's sort of like a, a largely hate-filled machine that uh, does have some positive... Uh, hate-filled machine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was the Nine Inch Nails album? Was a pretty hate machine? The internet's a pretty hate machine. But that's why you have to make it a happy, positive machine by making your own thing, putting some positivity in the world. Use Squarespace. They have great analytics to help you grow in real time and 24-7 customer support that's there to help. Think it, dream it, make it with Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code NERDIS to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Um, what do you got on the Nerdist Community Corkboard, KT Levine? I got a couple cool things. Uh, the Austin International Drag Festival will host close to 400 drag performances over the weekend of November 9th to the 12th. Uh, all events can be, a schedule of events can be found here at austindragfest2017.com. And they're going to have lots of performances all throughout the uh, Austin area. So it sounds really cool. So if you're interested in that, uh, go there to find out more info or find out about how to get tickets to go. Also, a uh, super funny comedian, Adam Caton Holland, is recording his uh, Comedy Central album taping this Friday, 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. at Union Hall in New York. Tickets are still available, so go to unionhall.com to find out more info. But that will be super fun, and he's hilarious. Fant- oh, yeah, Adam Caton Holland is yeah. great. Amazing. One of the Growlix guys, yep. been on a Denver comic, been on At Midnight a bunch uh, when that was still oh, a thing. Sorry, it's unionhallny.com. I had it wrong. Good thing I looked. It's a good <laughs> thing you looked, Katie Levine. <laughs> Don't even go back and edit the other one. You just leave that in. You know why? Because sometimes there are mistakes in life. I'll leave my mistakes. And you made up for it, so that's all right. October 20 and 21, I'll be at the American Comedy Company in San Diego, California. And then November... Uh, 8, 9, 10, I will be at uh, Caroline's in New York for New York Comedy Fest. 
And then I also have some dates coming up in Portland at Helium, I believe, in December. And then next year, I'm going to do Phoenix, going to do Brea, going to try to make up those Tacoma dates. So uh, I'm going to post all those on my Facebook events page. So just uh, Facebook, I'm uh, Hardwick, uh, slash Hardwick on Facebook, at Hardwick on Facebook. And then it'll, t- you know, there'll be an events page. And you can see all those dates and get ticket links. Fantastic. Um, this episode is Russell Brand, whom I love and now love more. Because so I got great. to hang out with him. <laughs> and he was so great because he had to um, – he was coming from – flew in that morning, raced across town to get here, didn't have a lot of time because he had to go do um, – I think he had to go do Access Hollywood or something. And uh, and he still stretched and uh, gave me the time. And it was still a great interview. He was fucking great. And it really makes me want to have him back on oh, to talk should. longer. Yeah. We got to have him back on. But um, Russell Brand is promoting his book, Recovery, which uh, I'm sure you will understand is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, and it's wherever books are sold. It's available now. Uh, Russell Brand. You know him. Look up his stuff. Go see him live if you ever get a chance. He's got a new tour that he's working on. And, uh, and just uh, lo- love, love, love him. This episode also brought to you by Stamps.com. Going to the post office is a drag. A drag. There's lines. People are aggressive. Uh, they're carrying a lot of packages. <laughs> they're not with happy them. To They don't want to be there. They don't want to be there. You don't have to be there. Avoid the hassle of the post office and mail everything from postcards, envelopes, packages, domestic or international, with Stamps.com. Uh, Stamps.com lets you buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, package, class, and mail using your own computer and printer. Click print mail. You're done. Stamps.com never closes, unlike the post office. And you can print literally anything any time of day. They're going to send you a digital scale that automatically calculates postage, helps you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. Even discounts you can't get at the post office. All the services of the U.S. Postal Service at your fingertips. Right now, enjoy Stamps.com with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in NERDIST. That's Stamps.com under the promo code NERDIST. You know, I had a per- I have a friend that just got married, and they used Stamps.com to send out all their invites, and they said it was the easiest thing in the world. I thought you were going to say they put stamps on themselves and set themselves <laughs> on their own honeymoon. <laughs> They got they one all around the world. They used the scale to weigh themselves. They put <laughs> the appropriate package. Wrong. They set themselves by the the post box. <laughs> the mail carrier picked them up, threw them in the truck, and then uh, they went uh, via first class mail to uh, exciting destinations. And they came home with like a bunch of stamps yes. from all over the world, all over their bodies. Who needs a passport when you have your body? Never go to the <laughs> post office again. And who needs a passport when you have your body? Yeah. Here's the nurse. Like <laughs> double down on that. I like yeah. you doubling. Yeah. 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 Here's the nurse podcast number 910 with Russell Brand. Katie, roll it. Now entering Nerdist.com. that we have to buzz through this as quickly as possible. So we'll, we, because you have to get to Access Hollywood. And it's amazing that you even came here to begin with. Because, well, yes, because 
you were literally in New York last night. That's right. We came here, and what's really interesting about it, or interesting or unusual, is that my life has changed quite radically. I'm married, and I have a baby, so I've got baby in my hotel room. It seems sort of like more mad and exotic than my former life ten years ago, when there would have been a heap of strangers cluttering up one corner of the room. It's sort of more bizarre, more of a tangent, more extraordinary that there's a baby and the accoutrements of a baby in the house, and a wife. You know, I live this different it's like a sort of a domestic carnival it feels like um it's an, a, a, a massive transition to move from a life that's determined by what you do professionally being a show-off to living a domestic life you know so it's been so bizarre for me and then so now that i have, have got a work project that i care about that means i go and do press and publicity i feel like i, I don't want to just go like i've been questioning the uh, what do I want to say? The wisdom of travelling with my sure. wife and baby the whole time because it's it's difficult. The baby don't like being on an air. Well, it doesn't. You know, the baby's difficult on an aeroplane potentially. Like a baby in a fuselage is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> oh, I know. When, when you when someone when you sit down and then someone you go, oh, it's going to be a great trip, and someone sits down with a baby, you kind of go, oh. No. You're in that negotiation, and if you yeah. are the baby, if you're the person that's with the baby, you've got to do sort of apologetic expressions. But there's a sort of an, an air of defiance as well, isn't there? Because, well, look, it's a baby. What are you going to do? Yeah. What, we gonna, what, you what are you supposed to do? Throw it out? <laughs> Kill it? I mean, look at our, what are our options? Can we check this? Can we check this baby? <laughs> just put the baby in. The baby will fit in the overhead bin. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, um, this book that you wrote about recovery is interesting because I'm. Three days away from 14 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. We're about the same time. Oh, well, you do that, that right I'm for you? 40. I'll be, if I get to December the 13th, yeah. I'll, that'll be 15 years. Congratulations. Thank you. So, and yours is three days. Time. Yeah, three, October 8th. Yes, 14 well done, years. done, man. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting also to hear you talk. How the fuck did he get back in? I've started to love this fly a little bit. No, don't kill it. It'll be a bad mood, you. For the well, for the right, show, right here on the wall. what if okay. it curses us? Oh, but that's a horse fly. If I catch him, he's gonna bite me. Those motherfuckers. I have one of those electrified tennis rackets oh, where dude. you swan them and they go. Zzz. But he's fine now where he is. Let's just assume that this is some sort of this is the reincarnated soul of uh, our past. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Carl Jung would say that yes. that it's a physical shadow. And in fact, one of these literal examples in therapy was a woman that dreamt of a scarab beetle, and she was a very materialist woman. And I don't believe in all this stuff. I don't even know why I'm at an analyst. And when she had this dream of the scarab beetle, which in Egyptian mythology is the sign of rebirth, a beetle, the closest one that you could get in an urban environment, sure. hit against the window and Jung said look synchronicity this is his theory of the you know that word synchronicity is a Jungian word it comes from Jungian analysis that the psychic experience and the objective material experience are relating to one another somehow there right. is some communion so maybe that fly and it means also something. explains a lot of the police's early albums <laughs> their spirits and material world synchronicity synchronicity too but it, but this idea sting sting right there yeah but this I but it, you know just knowing knowing what I know about you and having been a fan of yours for a long time, it, you're seeing how, how I assume your brain works and trying to intellectualize all these crazy emotional things that you went through when you were younger. It, 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 do you feel like you're getting – do you feel like you have more of a handle on yourself now with that much – sobriety and recovery behind you or do you still feel like I don't know you know I feel like I'm loosely tethered to the world 
I feel that we are all loosely tethered to the world. I feel that is perhaps the great challenge of being human. And all that any of us are ever discussing is how efficiently we wear our masks. But I've certainly in the last few years since getting married to my wife and since becoming a father felt that I have real material connections and a sense of rooting and grounding and that great archetypal idea that in the middle of life you know i'm 42 now the magic number oh yeah yeah like <laughs> yeah. this is a point where uh, you either move towards you sort of accept that the conclusion is death and that we're moving towards death now and that if you at that point re- don't accept it if you don't accept your life i think great crisis can come to you you know this is found these themes are found in the work of dante and star wars yeah and like, you know, like that we're at that point we're midway down the path and i think i had a sort of a crisis i had a sense of like oh I, there was this moment i woke up one day and like you know i'm in a program so i have a mentor you know someone further down the path sure. than me and i said to him i feel like i could walk away from everything in my life everything i feel like i could walk away from the people i know the house that i live in the career i feel like i could pile my clothes up on the shore and just walk into the sea he goes this is a natural thing to feel at your age it's good go with it experience this thing and a lot of things did change i mean i did a slightly mad thing that i still i'm only just now starting to realize the ramifications of i changed my phone number and only told about 10 people <laughs> <laughs> and are you I'm, i was thinking about doing that too have you has it been freeing and liberating for you it has been and like you know for two years i like you know i've been living in the country by a river with my wife I've got chickens I sort of did like the ISIS version of domesticity sure chickens bees like you know, this is it the most extreme version of this I'm li- going by the book you know and, but because I'm sort of sort of kind of vegan interested I don't take the chickens eggs now sure. the bees that they're all laid up with honey and, and, and anyway so over this couple of year period I've been reborn as a matter of fact and started to evaluate what are the things I like I like doing stand up I don't want to be sort of still in the sonic boom of my addiction, pursuing fame and money and sex and those things. I need to have a different connection. Like most of us that are in recovery, we start to think, well, what is it we were looking for in the first place? So, yeah, I got rid of my phone. I only kept about 10 people. So it's like, you know, lost probably a lot of good celebrity contacts in, in that car. Sometimes I think, God, I've probably had phone calls that would have been fascinating. Maybe Spielberg has been texting you for months. <laughs> he was like, I don't know why Russell won't back. You'd imagine that if he was serious, like that he would go for another channel, would he? I mean, maybe, maybe. Or maybe he's just like, no, I just only text people now. I don't, I don't like don't this guy's it. attitude. Someone I don't like else him either. play E.T. Yeah, take that, Spielberg. Take that. But, but you know, in, in talking to people that, are, that have had more years of recovery who are older and wiser and they say, you know, what's important to realize is that you're not important in in the sense that you know, because we tend to with this dark gift that we have been given, either environmentally or or through physiology um, tend to focus on ourselves a lot, there's a lot of narcissism there's a lot, and so sort of realizing like, oh yeah, I'm not, you know I'm just not that, you know, I'm just a part of this machine, it's not a big deal Yes, I think you're right. Self-centeredness is the determining component of addiction and, and I think is the axis for where addiction could be applied to everybody because the kind of idea that we live our lives in individually, egoically, that's not just addicts, that's everyone. We're encouraged to 
to think through consumer models well your life is your life you live then you die if you don't have some kind of transcendent connection even if that's through a humanist ideology such as i don't know socialism or collectivism my brothers my community my sisters is important then i think the default position that we arrive at as you say uh, whether it's environmentally or uh, physiologically is a kind of survivalist a sort of a primordial i must survive and i think our culture is very good at augmenting that buy stuff then just buy stuff uh, have sex with stuff right <laughs> eat stuff <laughs> you know, the world becomes commodities we can make anything fuckable we can shape anything so that you can fuck it just in yeah. case you want to know <laughs> and the internet and the internet will deliver that to the internet will literally ship anything for you to fuck it. Like, that is the craziest. We live like weird wizards now. Weird sex wizards. We're sex wizards. My friend, like, I was, I had this realization, like, I was, like, I, 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 this must have been in a terrible moment of desperate loneliness because the two things I was thinking is, and I was alone, literally alone, and I was thinking, my house needs to be cleaned and I'm lonely and need conjugal comfort. And, and I felt like, is there a, cleaning service that offers as an, a, a, an appendage sort of sexual favours and I like googled it and there was of course there was <laughs> and I said to my friend and my friend goes my god he goes what a world we live in no matter what feeling you're experiencing there's someone that's going to make money out of it I mean it is yeah it sounds like a Black Mirror episode too <laughs> but, it, but, but, but it is it is sort of we, are, we live in an addict's utopia because there's any I think a lot of addiction is about um uh, you know, on the on the emotional side, not distracting yourself from not having to deal or take responsibility for for anything. So you're constantly distracting, whether it's gaming or sex or mm. alcohol or drugs or whatever it is, workaholism, mm. and uh, because we just we can't process and deal with the amount of anxiety and and all the things that are all the darkness that's in us so we just keep going outward for external distractions i think you're right we've sort of lost the ability to sit and be and like the reason i need a program is because it precisely because it's prescriptive and the thing that i've arrived at is a sort of a quite an easy and succinct aphorism is we don't choose between a program and no program we choose between a conscious program and an unconscious program if i'm not consciously working my program i'm being worked by my unconscious program i think everybody's like that i think like that that continual forward momentum of wanting to grab at stuff of being unable to just sit down and be alone in a room I think that that is a condition of our time, that we're in this perpetual motion, I want this, I need this, like terrified to just stop for a moment. And like, you know, step 11, conscious contact with a higher power of understanding and prayer and meditation to know ourselves better, to know ourselves and others better. If I don't have that as part of my life, my natural tendency is towards extreme materialism and extreme consuming. Sure sensuality and pleasure and as you said earlier chris total self-centeredness right just all i care about is what i want and i have to trick myself into all right well chris is a human being he's gonna have concerns perhaps i could do something for him and and then if i do that i actually start to feel better but i have to be like reminded of it continually i don't default to that no and i also it's interesting you know i to hear you even say, you know, we lead our lives unconsciously or consciously, I think most people don't even realize that. I think most people just sort of feel like they're passengers in this in life and that they don't really have a and, – and when someone has the realization of like, oh, actually, I can make conscious decisions 
that can affect, you know, the course of my life rather than just feeling like, ah, the universe is just bending me over and fucking me again, like just fucking me all the way down the pathway. It's a lovely image. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about it today because I I was thinking about it. My dad would always say like, oh, you know, the older you get, the weeks turn into months. I mean, the years turn into months and the months turn into weeks. Like time moves so fast. And I kind of thought like, as you get older, from our perception, time is conical and sort of goes like a funnel. You know, like mm. a, like a, you know those coins where they spin down the funnel. And as it gets nearer the end, it spins faster and faster and faster and faster. Oh, that's good. So maybe time is not a fundamental qual- uh, quantity of the universe, but like a fundamental force that just pulls us in one direction. And we are just holding on. <laughs> just like you see the fingernail marks as we're being scraped through this this time cone is that crazy because i don't smoke weed and that's the weediest thing i've ever said in my life it's a beautiful and horrible image (laughs) it really really worked it worked too well i didn't like it i didn't like the idea of time as a negative force with an agenda and time and the agenda of time being death i didn't i didn't like that as time's objective but it was good and also i mean that's not that's not just cuckoo spooky frou frou claptrap because that's the part of the theory of relativity is that time alters in relationship to, to other forces right. gravitational pull for one thing and certainly yeah like as you get older your relationship with time changes and like we were saying earlier the awareness of death becomes more fundamental and more real so I suppose what all of this leads to for me mate is a sense of and, and this is like my like the book I've written starts with the idea of you're gonna like let's just start here you're gonna fucking die so let's invite that into the room and sure. start accepting it as a condition right now that we've accepted that how does that change the perspective of what you're going to be doing with your limited time here because you are able as you just said to make conscious choices now like i can't if if my life is just sort of the unconscious fear of being dragged down that sort of conical terrible time tunnel that you just gave us the gift of (laughs) then uh, then i'm going to be led by fear so i need some aspect of myself that is is about the transcendent is about impermanence and i can sort of experience that through meditation through prayer i kind of experienced it through drugs i you know drugs gave me cessation of fear and terror Mm -hmm. they gave me a kind of anesthetic but also they somehow met the idea that uh, you know look at the the idioms around drugs get off your head out of your mind off your face lose yourself right it's like the language is telling you that it's a kind of spiritual experience that we're looking for in a culture that doesn't provide us with spiritual experiences anymore because it wants us to be led by baser material things and when in yoga and in many scriptures they talk about age of darkness the Kali Yurt for me this age of darkness is we were concerned only with the gross things with the material things the things that could be understood through the senses the limitless light of consciousness was excluded and ignored and it's weird to be in your country at the moment mate because in airports and on street corners the darkness is it's it's fathomable oh yeah it's frightening a bit but is it what's the tone over across the pond? I mean, you're not... I wouldn't say you're experiencing what we're experiencing. But it's you bliss. Have... It's utopia. We've really cracked it. <laughs> Children all good now. Of all, good. Cu- of all hues dance down the street hand in hand. It's, one, it's, it's just one big Wonka factory over there. Right? You're just, you're just uh, sailing your way through rivers of chocolate. And, uh, yeah. But, you know... Although uh, that was run on slave labor, that oh, chocolate yes. factory. Oh, yes. No, you're absolutely right. It actually um, was. Oompa Loompas. I don't think they wanted to be there. And no, the idea and of that course, we... he said he rescued 
rescued them. I just rescued you yeah. guys from Oompa Loompa Land. Yes. Oh, I'm a candy imperialist. Did I not mention that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know that Willy Wonka's anything other than a sort of an icon of post-colonial hate. <laughs> A lot of kids probably died in that factory, and he was t- totally didn't even bat an eye. I mean, I don't think it went that well for the sort of like well, Charlie aside. I mean, Mike Tight TV, I think, gets shrunk. Yeah, Augustus Gloop, terrible things happened to him. One of them, t- I mean, like, I, hold on a minute, can't we get an employment agency involved? Vi- Vi- violet blows up into a blueberry, into a violet, into a big blueberry. Yeah. If you want someone to run your chocolate factory, go to a recruitment agency. <laughs> Don't invite children in for a secret tour. <laughs> you imagine if you said, hey, I'm just going to have a bunch of kids come over to my house for a bit and stay for a while, and man, maybe one I'll give one of them my company. People are like, well, you definitely should be arrested because whatever you're up to is not cool. Or Step okay. this way, sir. Put your hands where I can see them. <laughs> no. What, what, me, it's what, chocolate. I, it's no, I I'm eccentric. <laughs> Where's my cane? <laughs> he does the flippity-floppity thing. <laughs> but but you know I I I've always been curious for you because about about the tapestry of your life the last handful of years because you know with comedy obviously you want to become more well known so people know to come see you mm. but I do feel like with comedy there's a per- certain point where fame isn't helpful it's like you never mm. really want to be more famous than funny so you're always trying to stay ahead of that and you Ooh. certainly have stayed ahead of that curve but were you ever worried where it's like when your life got weird and tabloidy where you're like fuck I, can I just be a comic can I just tell jokes I was so excited by the enormity of fame that I was unable to be as circumspect as to see the likely consequences of it on me as a artist or performer or however you would term it in your own language as a sure. fellow comic. But like I've always been fixated upon external phenomena. Like I when I first got famous in my country, it was like I, I sort of equated fame prior to having it with redemption a bit. I felt like before because I think I was coming from a place spiritually or emotionally, however, uh, it's been pretty worthless and low. Like I saw fame as I'll be all right then. I'll be on the other side. As a boy, I sat too close to the TV, you know, like most kids. Just move away from that TV, you'll get square eyes. And I feel like I wanted to be in there, you know. It was my comforter, it was my right. friend. And so, like, being famous meant I'm not me no more. I'm redeemed, I'm free. Right. And so when all of those things happened tabloidy, sensationalist, vivid things. I weren't really able to be objective like that, although I was aware of toxicity. I wasn't thinking, God, this is actually brilliant, but I wasn't able to go, mm, this is going to affect my ability to connect with an audience. And actually, what I did have as a comic, hopefully, the dexterity to sort of be able to go, right, this is happening to me. Like, what I felt like when at the sort of height of celebrity excitement, I was still able to go, fucking hell, this is mental because I'm still me. None of this is real. These things that are being said about me, wow, this is extraordinary. Um, it felt, I still felt that it applied to things that I recognised from early life, being at school and not being popular at school and then suddenly feeling popular at school. Like, yeah. oh, wow, I'm allowed to go out of attractive girls now. This is unbelievable. <laughs> How has this happened? Like, yeah, it's like the keys to the chocolate factory. Right. It's like getting in there, you know. And So... You're right about that fame, funny curve because a comic needs to be abstract, a comic needs to be an observer. But 
uh, like a lot of people think, um, well, I'll, I'll give you the two examples, Osho, that, that guru guy, and Christ. I <laughs> you remember him from the Bible. He's one of the main ones, Chris. A, I think your name a, is related. He's a lead. I got a lead in the Bible. <laughs> Don't blow this now. Fuck, I, do, I could do this at home. Can I just do it one more time? Can I just do it one more time? Can we roll the tape hey, again? what's this bit where I go out on the crucifixion? Okay, you can come back for one little special guest appearance three days later. We're going to need you in three days. <laughs> really? I'm gonna... And then it's over. Okay, Sorry. So present in the sort of form of a holy Keep ghost. Keep your wardrobe for three days. And then, can, can we dye your hair blonde? We're going to need to dye your hair blonde for America. Doesn't seem very realistic. <laughs> um, like Osho says, like, uh, that through self-obsession, you can arrive at a kind of utopia. Like, because I suppose that there's something universal about all of our experience of being self. And that thing where it says the way to heaven is through me in, uh, you know, one of the Gospels, I which one, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a hermeneutics guy. He, the way to heaven is through me my friend said to me perhaps it means not maybe it's a misinterpretation oh. the way to heaven is through I me yeah right yeah. <laughs> through me he's saying from the first person point of view yeah yeah oh that's really awesome like you can reach paradise through self if you can transcend the self your material self if you can ascend from the crucifix of space time the flesh man dies and you become the enlightened man the sure. awakened man or sure human so um, I, I, I so for me even when I'm in a sort of a, a situation that's about total self-centeredness, I'm thinking, how is this universal? There is a universe there. Like the point of all art, surely, is to try to reach through, whether it's like a brilliant Francis Bacon painting or some, I don't know, Sylvia Plath poem. You sort of sense like, oh, it's reaching to me. I'm not alone in this abyss. So I think that through comedy, even if you are ensconced in a lot of tabloid ephemera and MTV glitter, you can sort of go, yeah, but... I'm me, and I know that I'm me. This is so weird. <laughs> and then sometimes I'm sure it feels like it's that sort of third-person perspective dream version where you're like, I see me doing stuff, but I don't know if that's me in there. And didn't you? I always had that anyway. I had that when I was doing weird stuff at school. Like, I used to like have this thing of like, oh, I definitely shouldn't flip this desk over now because <laughs> I'll get in trouble. Oh, no, look, I'm, I'm showing it. <laughs> Yeah, and isn't that? Part? I don't know why I'm doing this either. <laughs> We're all baffled right now. <laughs> a round of applause for me, everyone. <laughs> I've done so well there. Like I was always, and isn't that something that's a central Chris about comedy? That comedy is the peering round the veneer of reality, and sort of saying none of this is real. This right. is not real. We're all going to die. It doesn't mean anything. And I sort of used to feel that in moments of crisis. I remember once being in a treatment centre for sexual addiction. Oh yeah, and there was this exercise you did where you had to write these letters to your parents you know like and mine I, I was incapable of doing stuff like that without grandiosity so these letters were sort of full of this deep rich language of loathing and as I was reading them out the actual therapeutic exercise worked you know it wasn't you know like a lot of those things you think oh well I'll do it because you've told me to but I don't see how this is going to have any effect on my inner psyche but anyway I read this letter to my stepdad my mother my father and by the end of it it had um, like some sort of spell it had induced in me this state of such deep rage that I began to see the relationship between sexual toxicity and um, my early life conditions that sex was about personal empowerment and that there was a, a, an element of malevolence in my 
sexuality that I sort of never really experienced outside of that moment. And I, at the end of the exercise, the other sex addicts are around the room in a semicircle, sort of looking at me. I sort of feel like some lizard man, as if my tongue is four foot long and black, and like my eyes are flashing. And a gay guy in there later told me that I did look gorgeous, so I got some affirmation <laughs> out of it. And like they said, make a noise. They said the therapist with some ridiculous name, Travis Flowers, I believe he was called, make a noise that embodies what you're feeling right now. And I went, ah, and the roar came forth, and it poured out of me like a waterfall. And I turned around and I picked up the chair I was sitting on, and in slow motion, smashed it against the wall. And then I watched in slow motion as sort of different people from the unit come in and people sort of could get hold of me. And at this point, I'm detached and disembodied, and I'm just watching the thing like, hmm, this is weird that you've done this. There will be consequences now. <laughs> and then I'm taken to a hospital in Philadelphia and I'm assessed and I'm in this mental unit, and people are there in those gowns with no trousers and pants on, and you see the underside of American life that healthcare is not properly supported and people are falling over and it seems all broken I think, how am I going to get out of this little jam you know and so whether it's an extreme uh, and awful thing like school or an institution or a glamorous thing like MTV this sense that there's some satellite self that floats out and looks back and isn't really that at all I've always had that so that has helped me in situations where it's like, oh, wow, you're super famous now, it's always helped me to maintain ordinariness because like most addicts, sometimes I think I'm better than everyone and a lot of time I feel like I'm worthless and worse than anyone. So it's all of it is outside. Yeah, well, it's not, and I think it's comforting for people to hear you say that because then they feel like, oh, I'm not so weird if I feel that way. I mean, it's almost like a, that detachment that you're talking about, I sort of think of as like a spacewalk where, you know, it's like when the astronaut goes out to fix the ISS and they sort of float out and they're outside of it. Mm-hmm. So maybe part of that, when you're, when you're detached from yourself, like maybe it's a repair mode, mm-hmm. you know, so that you can come back in and deal with <clears throat> and, and have the tools to properly deal with whatever it is that you're dealing with. It's a nice metaphor as well. And, but I feel, isn't it like that accepted in neurology, psychoanalysts, that the self is a kind of construct that it's not really there at all it is just biochemistry and memory and the consciousness that witnesses thoughts and feelings is another aspect of self you know self with a capital s self with a small s you know like that that there is more to uh, we in our time we believe that the thinking mind is the self that when you close your eyes and you try to meditate you're like oh I should do this I want that oh come on I'm supposed to be meditating I hate that thing that happened oh I want that I'm hungry you know we think of that as the self but that in certain spiritual and I think psychoanalytical and indeed neurological traditions is but one aspect that's just one neurological circuit that loop of cognitive static and I think through meditation through working a program you start to identify with another aspect of yourself and you're freed from that so perhaps the spacewalk is a truer version of the self liberated from the unit from the craft sure. that, of you have constructed sure uh, I also I, I have an eye on the clock because I know that you have to get to um Access Hollywood. Why so, don't we just stay in here until something happens? <laughs> and, and if you feel like you've not got enough time, I'll come back. You know? I would love to have you come because even even just on in, this trip, it, you could do it in like you know we could bolt it together. I mean, I, I, like, I'm really enjoying. Talking I'm to enjoying you, having you here rush. too, and it's the sort of thing like, oh fuck, I wish we had hours to talk because it it uh, it it's so fun to. I mean, I say fun, but it you know it, to, to meet other people who have the same kind, who speak the same language we speak we speak the same language and when you meet other people in recovery uh, and they've got some time behind them or even 
even new recovery mm. people, and you're like, you're in, you're gonna do it. Wait till you get, you know. I get excited for people because I go, it feels like a mess now. It just feels like someone just dropped a pile of spaghetti in your lap. Mm. But you'll start sorting it out, and pretty soon you'll be able to reform it, you know, and then hold it. Mm. And so I still gonna have bolognese in your pubes. <laughs> <laughs> That was there before. <laughs> to, to be fair, Hold that on was a minute. <laughs> that was already. This was mushroom pasta. <laughs> was the, that was the Italian Willy Wonka in the pasta factory. Like, hey, come in the swimming in the pasta. Oh, he's so dirty. But uh, but um, I, I want to know how becoming a father. As I look ahead, in about a year, I will become a father. And having come through everything that you've come through... How do you know that? The gestation period is nine months. Uh, yes, that's You're true. You're planning one. Well, I'm a, I'm a control freak. Uh. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I've already got a, <laughs> already got a clock. Controlling <laughs> the periods of gestation. You're controlling the periods of gestation, yeah. It's, uh, you know, she's... Uh, We've got an embryo. Yeah, it's just, don't worry about it. We've got lots of embryos. Uh, but uh, we're planning on in about a year. Mm. And did this did this bring you closer into yourself when you did you have that experience when you saw your baby for the first time? Like now I get it, or now I feel more connected to everything. Or did you have to work to stay in your conscious self with that process? Both of those things, really. I mean, while my wife was pregnant, pregnancy seems like it goes on for a very, very, very long while. It just is this epoch right. of pregnancy. I write about the birth in the conclusive chapter of the book because it's difficult not to see it as a climax and as a culmination of life. And in a very literal way, it is because the idea of myself as somehow a conclusion, this idea of self-centeredness that we talk about, is undermined entirely by the fact that I'm not. I'm just a vessel for this other human being that's now here. So really, I'm just some guy shuffling around in the corridor now, waiting for my daughter to be old enough to carry on with life. Like, my, I am not the apex of my own existence. Now, that's really easy to put into words. But as an experience, that moment of lay, like. Pregnancy is all about, of course, reflection and incubation. And it's like you're incubating the person you're going to become as a father while your partner is incubating the child. Mm -hmm. And when you go, like in our case, we went to a midwife-led NHS hospital in London, England, not far from where we live. And when we get there and my wife transformed from the kind of gentle person, like I'm fascinated by these kind of transitions, these transitions between worlds and realms, these transitions between character. She changed in the process of labour. Because she actually, what she did brilliantly, my wife, is she was well conscious about what birth was. She learned about it. She didn't just go, oh, I'll just ignore that until, like, my, until my, my vagina's torn <laughs> apart by an internal intruder. She read loads. She read about all these things called hypnobirthing and stuff. So, like, she was going, like, you know, and like she was talking. There was this brilliant bit that she learned about where it was about the language around birth. Like, you know, like, because. And she was saying, like, the, the sensation, like, they, the, the language is particular. Instead of, like, tearing isn't really a physical word. So they were saying, like, this, you will feel 
burning, you may feel aching. Like there were sort of words that were very particular to the actual experience. So by the time that she was going into labour, she was very awake to what it was likely to be. She had mapped out what she was likely to experience. And you can never fully prepare for it, but to just watch it as a man is you know you're going into this female world. You are peripheral. You are in the cave. It's a thing for women, birth. And there's a big argument that the whole medicalization of childbirth has been sort of patriarchy saying, no, we'll dominate this too. And, and on a more practical level, of course, infant mortality has been radically reduced. Of course, yes. <laughs> So there is definitely we an do upside. That a little bit better, yeah, that part, that part's <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah, they did well there. <laughs> but, like, um, but, like, it's a female space, you know, and we went in there and the midwives are such powerful, powerful women. And my girlfriend, as she was then, turns into nature. You see that, that our cognizant identity, me as Russell, you as Chris, is just some flotsam and jetsam floating on the surface of an ocean of humanity. And when you are your primal self, you're accessing what you really are, what we really are. And our real identity is a collective identity, not an individual identity. And that's why individualism is such a flawed concept. You watch her become woman as an objective thing, not Laura, my girlfriend. Right. And for me, what I go through, because I'm a fast-thinky type guy, is like, oh my god, like, it's sort of, it's, I'm, I've never taken ayahuasca, God knows I want to, and like, it's, it was like, it flipped me out, the thought goes so fast, like, oh my god, this is actually happening, it's actually happening, something that's so carnal, so primal, but somehow so divine, and given that it's a cliche, birth, nothing prepares you for the actual moment of seeing a human head come out of someone you know's vagina. It's like, oh my, how is that happening? <laughs> how does that happen? <laughs> like, how big is it? Suddenly so many questions. How, what's the actual size of a baby? Oh my God, how big can this fucking hole get? <laughs> and then it flops. I mean, it's so material. It's so flesh. It's so, we're apes. We're dirty, stinking apes in a wood, <laughs> in a cave. And then, but also, oh, there's all this divine underscoring in the background. It lollops out like some sort of amphibian thing and what the thing that most got me Chris was that the difference between it seemed at first like a really good special effect it seemed like a baby in a movie almost like that baby in train spotting on the roof oh yeah and then before it wasn't it was just in the water moving just because it was in water and then my wife picked her up and her eyes opened the baby's eyes opened and she came online and it was like consciousness life is consciousness life is not matter life is consciousness and when her eyes opened something went on in her something went on in me and I've not come down from it it sort of hit me with some I don't know whether it's hormones or what it is but it hit me with something that's not gone away powerful visceral of the body and of the mind too and I just wanted to protect her I wanted everyone at arm's length away from her it was a completely new territory in me new territories of protect- protectiveness new territories of love it's just and it's never gone away of course I can sort of drift back into oh, I'm Russell I want to look at my phone now but, <laughs> but like it, it's generally speaking it's a transcendent, life-shattering and spiritual experience. Cut to you on the airplane. It's a fucking baby. What, am I, what do you want me to do? <laughs> it's going to make noise. I can't drug it. You can't yeah. drug it. But look, there's allergy meds, but I don't know. It's morally wrong. <laughs> I'm hoping that it didn't get the... Oh, they, are they waiting? Oh, look, there's a person. Oh, we got a five. Oh, there's a person. Okay, we got the five. The five how, is How good. long have we done? 35. We've done 35. So five, for another five, we've done 40. We've done 40, yeah. Which is, which is enough to do a... You know, when you got here and your team was like... I think you can only do this for 25 minutes. I was like, oh, no, we we've in never that? done it. But 40 minutes is acceptable. And please know that you are welcome to come back anytime you will make time for it. Because it's, it's already been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank um, you. But uh, I, went to, uh, I went to see Steve Martin and Martin Short in Las Vegas. They do a show. Wow. They, tra- they do a show together. They travel with. And 
uh, and I'd only just met Steve, and he's fucking the coolest guy. And he told the story on stage about you because they're telling stories. Do you know what story? No. He's, Steve Myers got a story about me. He's got a story about you that he told on stage with Martin Short. They were kind of telling, you know, Hollywood stories. And he said, he said, I want to tell you the story of the fastest ad lib I've ever heard. He said it was at an Oscar party, probably, probably the Vanity Fair party. And yeah. he was... He was leaving and you were going in and he said, oh, we've never met before. Uh, I'm just leaving as you're coming in. And he said, you instantly leaned in and go, it's a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> and he thought it was like the greatest ad lib he had ever, ever heard. Well, it was good, but it was, it was sadly inaccurate because <laughs> I haven't gone on to make the jerk. <laughs> just simply drifted off to think a lot about meaning. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really glad that Steve Martin remembers it and is not going, turns out that Russell's subsequent film career was unremarkable. <laughs> you get a call from him. Hey, remember when you said that thing? Shut up, shut up! <laughs> what How about you in like- Roxanne? That, I mean, <laughs> you've made compromises. Come on! <laughs> what about my blue heaven? What about my blue heaven? <laughs> but, you know, it was really, it was really cool because he, it, there was, there was admiration, there was such admiration in his voice and it was, and I, and I was creatively jealous, not in a negative way, but a, like, what a fucking awesome place to occupy in this guy's mind. You wow, know? yeah, that is good. I live in Steve Martin's mind in a good way. In a good way. Oh, thank Did, you for that. Is that... Now, I would imagine, you know, years ago, Russell, would hearing something like that cause you to become destructive? In other words... Is that a kind of an excitement or something to contain where you have to go distract yourself from it? Or are you able to appreciate those moments as like, that's really cool. I can appreciate that from from my point of view. Well, I like it when I hear you say it. I like the idea that Steve Martin's saying that on stage. This other thing happened to me when I first got famous. Like, uh, Morrissey, I'm a big Smiths fan. Oh, yeah. And Morrissey, like... People mates of mine were at a Morrissey gig, and I'd only been famous about fifteen seconds on talk shows in the UK and for, for early tabloid exploits. And Morrissey went on stage, and there's normally a bit halfway through the gig where Morrissey introduces his band. He goes, "And so and so, we have some drums, and we have Mitch Mitchell here as well." And he does sort of like goes through his band, and then he went, "And I'm Russell Brand." And, oh and like, shit! Now Morrissey's <laughs> introducing himself as me. I was sort of all sort of blown away about it, but I'm always astonished by how little hmm, what do I want to say collateral. <laughs> you can get from those things you know you sort of it's like it's really lovely that you say that and it's sort of beautiful and I'm grateful for it but there's almost immediately afterwards a sort of a lachrymose feeling of teariness that ah oh, but it's I can't do anything with that like that that's not gonna solve me and what that takes me to is the sense that I have to be inner resourced I have to be independently responsible for my spiritual state. Now, that's not that I'm not connected to other people. As I said in that big birth diatribe, we are all connected to one another. We are one another. And the, the, the separation between us, I truly believe, is a, a very potent and effective illusion. But like, I have to be responsible for my own well-being. I, if I, my particular type of personality, if I start sourcing feeling good on the Steve Martin anecdote, I'll find myself alone in some terrible moment trying to wrap myself in it somehow right. and it not being able to bind me together right I can only get it from the inside so I like it it couldn't I don't know if there was ever yeah sometimes there was there's times when people would say something good about me and I think oh really that means I can act like a right cunt <laughs> <laughs> oh I am well why am I talking to you then I am great that happened to me at, when that most notable example of that was like when I first got a gig at MTV UK like, like sort of I went I was doing stand up at Edinburgh MTV talent scout people saw me my 
my lovely friend Andy Milligan. He gave me a job on a like late night cable show, a UK specific dance floor charts. So it's not a big deal at all. Five hundred quid a show, which to me was like, like oh my god, like I was holding quivering great ducats, <laughs> like I had pirate swag in my hands, you know. And like, well, they, they, I remember going to the office, going from like sort of so humble, like the elephant man, bowing and scraping. Oh, thank you, thank you. In like in one second, to where's my fucking taxi? Right. Like about like in a moment, just from worthlessness and gratitude to total satiation and becoming a yeah, Tony Montana in the right. hot tub with a machine gun and a pile of coke in front of a giant painting of yourself <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah like yeah. in like a second so like and I think perhaps this is one of the things of the extreme addict we occupy this giant concertina of ego and sort of despair of grandeur and worthlessness and so for me I have to you know, in recognise the transience and temporary nature of any little bars that I get from a thing. You know, obviously, you tell me that a chemical goes off. Oh, I feel good. And like the book is about a simple way of staying connected to who you really are, and the simple message of by being like kind to one another and being kind to ourselves. The program that you work and I work, it posits you in a place where. You can stand to be human. You can stand the idea that you're going to die. I can stand the idea that off she goes, my daughter, into a future that I will never see without me. And I'm going to have to live with that. Like every human before that's ever had children has to live with it. But I think so many, so much of the time we live with it by ignoring it, by not addressing it. But I think that there is a beauty in it somehow. Yeah, and also just thinking about when your daughter's older and whenever she tries to date, you're going to be like, no, because <laughs> I know what guys do. I'm, what I'm trying to do is like, I'm hoping by the time she starts to attach to things, I'm giving her, right, do you, like, I don't, I wonder what her, I hope she's clever, because I'm going to be sort of saying, no, do you think you want that iPad, but do you? Do you want the iPad? You think you want to go with that guy, but is he not just a shadow of me? Hmm, think, Mabel, think. Perhaps she's, I don't know, man. It's very possible the teenagers don't have that ability to reflect quite yet, as they are hormone bubbles. You're right, and apparently, according to recent uh, neurological studies, there's a part of the brain that don't even develop to they're 25 or something so you're just talking to someone that doesn't have that you know you're trying to describe colour to someone who can't see so it's like they're not ever going to get it so hence the frustration you're just you're, you're wanting them to open their mouth and you're just throwing throwing little Cheetos but their mouths are closed and the Cheetos are just <laughs> off their face like, nothing's getting in it's not getting in yeah. um, I feel like I need to uh, it's we we did we absolutely did it and I don't want you to be late for your thing because uh, I feel I would just feel bad if you were and that it's was it's going to be a vertigo whip for me going from this level level of openness to access Hollywood where I imagine it'd be like a five minute segment fielding questions about Casey Perry <laughs> it's gonna be tough in there Chris still oh my god no. I mean that's that I'm sure that's the, the publicity gift that never stops giving like, you know I uh, have a baby now and uh, yes, yes, I'm sure I'm sure yes. now, <laughs> so these shoes you wore to this Jesus Christ recovery please yeah, I, I, I took it. I took the deal. I took the deal. And I don't mean with particular regard to getting married. I mean in celebrity in general. Will you promote my book, Recovery? Absolutely. But the book, the, the book is available now. Is it available now? It's out in your country, America. Yes, Recovery is the book. Did you do the audio version? Did you read yeah, the audio version? Yeah, and I enjoyed that. And you can imagine me showing off in that booth. I think it's so important when, you, when a comic writes a book that if you read the book, you also listen to the audio version so that you can hear how the material was supposed to be presented from that 
performative level. Yeah, you're so right. So I, I really hope, uh, I'm sure people can find that on Audible or whatever it is, but this has been so great talking to you. I was also making cuts, actually, while I was reading it. Oh, you like, did? Like, oh, no, that's not good. Why did I say that? And like, so subsequent editions have got bits taken. Why didn't I tour this book and workshop it? Then I could have finished the book. Yeah. So this is our art form. We are oral. Uh, we're oral artists as opposed to written, perhaps. And you're starting your new, you're starting a new show in England pretty soon, are you not? I'm doing, I'm touring. I'm doing this massive, long, free night. So I do a, this new way of touring it's really brilliant I do three shows a week and my country's only little so I can travel back and when if it's far my baby and my wife come with yeah. me I have to keep the domesticity with me in a little caravan so my mad mind doesn't just go ding 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 ding, ding dancing off into right. the world with a flute and you know what that flute is <laughs> so like um, yeah so, so like um, yeah so like uh, I am two, I two or three nights a week in the in the UK it's a really nice way of doing it rather than that the, the road the road yes know. So, uh, know yourself, get to know yourself, know that you can be a conscious pilot of your own spiritual machine, stay out of the Wonka factory. Yeah, get uh, out of there. <laughs> that guy, don't trust him. It's, he's not running it according to any health and safety standards. Slave labor, it's weird. Uh, but thanks, man. It was really good to see you. Lovely. We'll do, perhaps we exchange details so we can communicate. Let us exchange details and we will communicate. Uh, enjoy your burrito. Actually, would you sign us off? We say enjoy your burrito on the podcast. It's our mantra for saying enjoy your present. Like, don't, don't, you know, um, uh, learn from the past, don't uh, plan for the future, but live in the present. Mm. So we say, enjoy your burrito, enjoy your thing as it's happening. Would you sign us off, please? Yes, this is Russell Brand saying sincerely, and from every single chakra I have access to, enjoy your burrito. The end. <laughs> Fantastic. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop Popcorn. Imagine this, perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients, popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.